Welcome to Season 2 of the Mountain and Valley Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Horvath. This podcast exists to share the stories of everyday people, to discuss the difficult moments in life, the amazing triumphant times, and the journey in between. We all have a story to tell, and we hope this podcast helps you in telling your own. In this episode, Kip and I had the opportunity to interview avid trail runner Nick Horvath. Nick shares his story and discusses his experiences running in the woods, being a husband, father, and living with alopecia. He also discusses the struggles of working in a godless environment, growing in his faith, and adoption. But we'll let him tell you his story. My name is Nick Horvath. I'm 35 years old um, and I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's where I'm from. I was born here. I'm the second of four children um, to two godly parents. Um, Grew up in a, I would say probably uh, a classic, maybe Southern Baptist household. Um, Church every Sunday, Sunday school. Uh, Even when I was younger, we used to go to church. Sunday evenings and Wednesdays and uh, most of my early childhood, I remember a lot of that. Um, childhood was was really hard for me, um, even if it didn't look like it or if I didn't let it show. Um, at age five, um, I was diagnosed with alopecia. Um, alopecia is basically uh, what alopecia means is hair loss. Um, and I started losing my hair on the top of my head. So at five years old, and I remember this to this day, um, we were having dinner together um, at the dining room table and got up. And for whatever reason, my mom called me over to her and she said, I'll never forget this. She said, uh, uh, looks like you're losing some hair on the top of your head. We need to keep keep a watch on that. And, uh, you know, 30 years later, I, was, I can still remember that so vividly. So, um so yeah, so starting off at a very early age um, with, uh, it's not a disability, so, um, you know, it's, you know, I try to keep that, in, you know, keep that in mind, even as a child that I knew that it wasn't affecting my health or anything like that, but physical appearance that, you know, and being five years old and that starting, um, it was, it was difficult. Um, not only that, um, we were a family of six. Uh, my father worked, my mom didn't. Um, and uh, it, it was tough financially. You know, we lived, probably the best way to say it would be extremely modest um, for probably the first, uh, was it, 10 years of my life. We lived in a two-bedroom duplex um, in Highland Park, and not the Highland Park that it is now, the Highland Park that it was in the mid eighties, uh, a very dangerous place. Um, in fact, I, I saw, <laughs> saw my first dead body at like the age of eight at Highland park. And, um, that's a story for maybe another podcast, but, um, so yeah, just, just to show you, uh, or just kind of shed some light on, on what I experienced early on. So anyways, so there I am, you know, young kid, five, uh, loving household, you know, not perfect by, by any means. And my parents would be the first to, to tell you that, but 
but um but they love God and they and they taught us too as well you know um and that that continued on with my grandparents and some of our other family so uh, very blessed to have a strong Christian background um to be brought up in um and I guess God knew I needed that um with the challenges I had because um I was a very embarrassed little boy um I didn't like the way I looked I didn't like the fact that we didn't have the things that my friends had or that I felt I wanted. Um, so I let that uh, embarrassment turn into bitterness. Um, and as I got older, that bitterness turned into uh, actually fe- fueled pride, believe it or not. But um, we'll get to that later. Um, but around the same time, uh, age five, another <laughs> very vivid um, picture I have um, was my salvation. And it's another, once again, my mom, a uh, strong female presence in my life. Um, we were sitting together having lunch, um, eating tomato soup and grilled cheese. It's one of our favorites. And sitting there at the table, and I just was thinking about Sunday school earlier that week. And I remember looking at my mom and asking her if she would help me pray to ask Jesus into my heart. And we did that day. And I'll never forget it. It was so vivid. And I, I know I was very young. And I know there's eh, often controversy about um, children finding salvation at such a young age. But the picture is so clear, you know, and there's only a few examples of my early childhood that I can remember so vividly in that that being one of them. Um, and I followed up in the, in the following year with Believer's Baptism. Um, and yeah, so young kid. Southern Baptist home, church, um, struggling with, like I said, embarrassment and, you know, the way I looked and, and things like that. But anyways, life went on. Um, went through school, did good in school. Parents instilled a strong worth ethic uh, in all their kids. Um, but I feel um, that I, I really pushed hard for that. I feel like I had to make up for stuff. Maybe for, I don't know. Anyways, as I got older, um, reached teenage years and 13, 14 years old, middle school, start befriending people. You know, earlier on, it was always friends of church or friends of my parents, kids. Um, and now I'm befriending, you know, kids in public schools, right? Um, and realizing that going to church and stuff like that wasn't didn't seem as fun as other things right uh and i think a lot of kids and adolescents uh kind of get to that point so 13 14 i started pulling back from wanting to go to church i remember my parents i wouldn't say pushing me because they never pushed me but they strongly encouraged me to continue to be a part of the family especially when it comes to going to church with them, but uh, but I was a selfish teenager, and I decided I wasn't going to go, so I stopped. Started sleeping in. Um, parents would come in every Sunday morning and try to convince me to join them, and I wouldn't. So um, at the age of 14, 15, uh, right around there, I kind of cut ties with the church. I didn't go anymore, um, and I was fine with it. I had no problem with it. Um, then I moved, got into high school, 17, 18 years old. Uh, 
and church was the last thing on my mind. God was the last thing on my mind. Um, I was thinking about sports and girls and having fun and drinking with my buddies and uh, sneaking around and lying to my parents. And, and even though I was doing a lot of those things that uh, I was still good grades, right? I was a good kid. I was nice. I was polite. I had manners. So nothing stood out that I really was doing anything wrong. You know, I was actually a good kid that was just being a teenager. So mm, really didn't have any convictions at that time. Um, uh, about the age of 17, though, I did meet um, Carmen, who is my wife now. So spoiler alert, we get married. <laughs> but we have been friends for uh, since middle school. And then when we were in high school, uh, I was 17, 16, winter break, we... Uh, decided to start dating, and we've been uh, been together ever since. That was in 2002, January 8th, 2002, when we started dating. So anyways, uh, we started dating, and <laughs> entered our senior year of high school, um, and was just, I don't know, having fun. Uh, felt pretty popular at school, which was cool, right? I played soccer. I had a very attractive blonde girlfriend and lots of friends and um thought I had everything going for me you know and just gonna keep going on the way I was and I did for a long time unfortunately uh after high school Carmen went to college and I went to work um we got engaged and planned on getting married after she graduated from college um she did uh, but in that time in those four years early 20s um going into my mid-20s um Honestly, there's there's nothing substantial there. And I tried to think about this the other day. What was going on in my life during that time? Uh, and the answer is nothing. I, I was so stagnant. I was hanging out with my friends on the weekends. We stay out late. We go to the bars. We play pool. We drink heavily. Um, I go to work and spend time with Carmen. And that was it. Um, there was nothing spiritual going on nothing I didn't feel convicted and when I try to remember anything of importance during that time of my life in my early 20s it's just it's just a blur and I think that's because it's it was a waste um I wasn't growing so uh Carmen and I've been married for probably mm, let's see 2026 is when we I think we decided to start working towards a family I'd also gotten to running at this time, so don't don't let me forget that. Throw that in there because I've gone through several different hobbies and passions in my life. Um, I think this has been the longest uh, so far and the most fruitful. Um, but anyways, yeah, we'll start with that. <laughs> when I was 26, uh, I started running just to to lose weight, um, just to lose some weight, get in shape again, and also because my boss at the time had just ran a half marathon, and I looked up to him a lot, and still do. And I thought, wow, if he can do something cool like that, I, I bet I could too. So went out for a run to do one mile one day. Uh, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so went out the next day. Couldn't do it either. So just kept doing it. Kept going out every day until I could complete one mile. And then I increased it to two miles. So um, started running. Um, and that same year I started, I was able to finish a half marathon. So uh, that kick started my running journey. And that was in 2011. Um, yeah, I think about two years after that is when Carmen and I decided to start a family. 
I was working for Volkswagen at this time. I work for them now still. Um, I work for Volkswagen. Carmen's a school teacher. Uh, we've been married uh, like seven, eight years at this point. And we were ready to start a family, right? We bought it. We had a house for several years. We both had good careers. Um, money put aside. We were checking all the boxes, all the the worldly boxes, right? You know, all the things I thought, hey, this is what we need to do. Boom, boom, boom. Nailing them. I was getting in shape, right? And decided, okay, let's let's start a family now. Um, a year went by and Carmen hadn't gotten pregnant. Um, two years went by and Carmen hadn't gotten pregnant. So we're starting to get worried at this point, right? Um, so we go see doctors. Um, we come to find out that um, there's an issue, uh, fortunately, with, with Carmen that would uh, prevent her from being able to get pregnant on her own. So we start fertility treatment. Uh, we do that for a year. Um, and I don't know. And the same, <laughs> my story's crisscrossed so much. So, so let, let me pause right there. So there, there's where we're at right there as far as that journey. Um, let's talk about my spiritual journey. Um, so during all this, this is one of the hardest times of my life. That's the hardest times of my wife's life, right? I had lived this all of my adolescence and early adulthood in um, thinking that I could do everything on my own. Remember that uh, uh, embarrassment and bitterness I talked about as an early child? Um, well, that turned into pride, pride as an adult. Um, I didn't think I needed God. I didn't know if there was a God. I felt that once I took control of my life, uh, things were better, that I was happier. Um, and I believed it for a long time. Um, I got my career, Carmen got her job. Um, I earned all the money. Um, my health was in my control. The happiness of our marriage was on me. And, uh, I thought that I was able to control all of it. Um, and during all this time, that awesome family that I had talked about as a child, they were still there and they prayed for me every day. Uh, my mom did, uh, my dad did, and I know my grandparents did. Um, even when they tried to talk to me about stuff and I was not confrontational, but I just wanted, I didn't need it. That's how I felt. Um, but they still prayed for me. And um, there was a point in my life, in my mid-20s, or I wasn't sure what I believed. I didn't know if there was a God. I didn't know if I needed one, if there was. And I basically said, you know, God, if you exist, you're going to have to break me. And he did. Uh, in a way I could never imagine, which was through infertility, right? Um, so, all right. Saying all that, let's go back to infertility. So, we're uh, we're struggling, trying to have a child, right? We don't know what to do. Um, we want one really bad, um, and we're in a lot of pain because of it. Uh, at the same time, at the midst of trying to figure out what we're gonna do, uh, our dog, um, which we got <laughs> the year we were married, it was the first dog I'd ever had. Um, she got sick, and we spent a small fortune on trying to keep her alive. 
um, for about three months until she got sick with uh, something else. Um, and we had to put her down. So uh, we lost uh, our dog who for a, um, a couple who doesn't have children, who've been together a long time. It was almost like, like a child to us. You know, we love that dog. And anyone that knows us knows that we love Diva. She was a really sweet dog. And, and um, that was a really, really painful experience to go through. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a weird feeling because I don't want to say that I regret regret it and that God let that happen because that's what it took, right? That's what it took for me. So um, during that time, that was in the fall um, of 2015, my brother, who's sitting right here listening to me and one of the co-hosts of this podcast and who I'm very proud of, uh, if over the years he'd always invited me to come listen to him play band at church, and I never did because I didn't want to go to church. I wanted to hear him, but I didn't want to go to church. So I was very selfish, and I never did. Uh, and then that, that winter, 2015, he asked me again. And it was to a Christmas service at Silverdale at the Creekside campus. And I went just to appease my brother because um, I love my brother. So Carmen and I went, and it was really good. <laughs> and, I, and I really enjoyed it and um god used that moment uh just to slap me you know it's like i don't know i feel comfortable there i haven't been there in a long time and i heard a, a man speak that i hadn't heard before his name is travis jones he's a pastor here in chattanooga for silverdale and i heard him he was one of the three or four different pastors i spoke that night and i just thought wow that guy he kind of he, he preaches a little differently than I've ever heard. I kind of like it. And um, so anyways, we left that night um, after having a decent experience, you know, nothing that I was, uh, you know, I don't know. Anyways, it was a good experience, right? Um, and the, <laughs> wow, looking back on it. So let's see. So in that, that, in that season, we, we weren't able to have children. We had to put our dog down. And I was also going through um, one of the worst, uh, to this day, uh, running injuries I had, a knee injury that actually sidelined me. I wasn't able to run. It was very painful. I had to go see a physical therapist, um, got MRIs, so I wasn't running. So um, all of the, a lot of the things I brought joy into my life, I wasn't getting any joy out of. Um, so God was using that to point me to, to another source of joy, the main source of joy, him. Um, so anyways, we went to the Christmas service, uh, had a good time, um, went back home. I could feel uh, a, a churning inside me, right, the conviction. The Holy Spirit has been in me all these years. I just, just quieted him, and, but he wasn't going to be quiet anymore. Um, and I could, feel, I could feel something happen. Um, so uh, a couple weeks go by. Um, and one Sunday morning, I wake up early and I go for a run. Just a good day to see how it goes. And, and I have no knee pain at all. It was, it was a good run. It was a really good run. It felt good. And during the whole run, I don't know, I just felt convicted to go to church. I need to go to church. Even 
And then it wasn't because it wasn't in any pain. It was just, I just had that conviction even before I even stepped out the door, right? So I finished my run, just feeling fantastic and very grateful um, that I could run pain-free again for the first time in a long time. And I'm driving home and I text my mom and I say, hey, can I go to church with you today? She's like, yes. So I get home and I tell Carmen, uh, hey, do you want to go to church with my mom and me today? And she's like, uh, not really. <laughs> and it's funny now because we look back and laugh at it because the reason it's funny is because so for so many years, Carmen did ask me to go to church with her and I told her, no, I didn't want to. And then we ended up going to church that Sunday, but um, <laughs> Carmen came back a few minutes after she told me, no, I don't want to go. And she's like, you know what? I've asked you to go so many times over the years and we haven't gone. And now you've come to me and you want to go. And I say, no, that's not okay. Let's go. So we go with my mom to Silverdale. Uh, that's where they go to church, Bonnie Oaks campus. And lo and behold, that Sunday, Travis Jones is preaching. And <laughs> so I got to hear him again. And it was great. And I really liked him. I told my mom that. She's like, well, if you, if you really like Travis, then you should, also, should go check out the St. Elmo campus because he's the head preacher there. So I said, all right, let's go. So that following Sunday, we went to St. Elmo, and we've been going for the past four years ever since. Um, that's not the end of the story by any means. Um, through my running, God also introduced me to some incredible men that have become some of my best friends. Um, at first, I looked up to them just because they're really good runners. Um, then I looked up to them because they're really good fathers. Uh, and now I, and then I look up to them because they're, they're really good uh, followers of Christ, really good examples of godly men. Um, and it's not missed on me that God put those men in my life uh, to help spur this journey. Because um, in that season, um, when we were, we were learning that we may not be able to start a family on our own, and we put our dog down, and I started a new position at work. I didn't mention that, which was very intimidating and very challenging uh, that really tough season um is when these men uh when I got to know these men so so God put people in my life to to help me kickstart that journey I, you know, I wasn't I didn't, I didn't feel alone um so um so yeah we're back in church uh this is you know after so many years and we start going again and it's it's really good and I'm getting convicted on a lot of things. I'm getting encouraged on a lot of things. And I'm meeting really lovely people. Um, and uh, I'm feeling, uh, I don't know, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit again. And um, and it's great. It's not easy. It's still hard, but it's great. So um, we start walking on that journey. Um, Carmen and I had started doing fertility treatments. Um and we had done all of, I can't remember all the names of them, all the medical names. Anyways, we did the first stage all the way up to what we could say was successful. And then the next the next option was in vitro, right? Um, and we talked about it and we started praying about it. But for, for uh, Carmen and me, it didn't feel like that's what God wanted for us. Um, so when I told Carmen that I did not feel comfortable continuing, um, um, she did feel comfortable continuing. So that was uh, another challenge in that in that story. Um, um, how do you tell your wife that you don't feel comfortable continuing to pursue um, 
the medical side of, of, of conceiving or whatever, you know. Uh, I remember seeing her so broken when I told her that I, I couldn't and I couldn't do it. Um, just to feel like God was telling me no. Um, and it was hard, but, um, if she wants to talk about her story one day, she can, uh, but by the grace of God, he, he comforted her, he comforted both of us. Um, and he led us down another path, which was the path of adoption. Um, a path that when we first, first even mentioned was like, there's no way we're just, it's not for us. That's, that's for other people. Right. So anyways, um, we talked about it and we prayed about it and God put us in a church that loves adoption, loves it and supports it and they're passionate about it. Um, so I won't get into too many details about that, but long story short, we pursued adoption. God blessed us greatly in a very short time with a beautiful, uh, intelligent and, and just an incredible little boy, Tanner, um, who's our son now and he's two years old. A little over two years old and he is amazing um and had we not gone through that pain and had we uh been able to conceive our own we would have missed out on the joy that he has brought us in our life so um so where am i now um like i said i'm 35 now i've been back in church for four years um god has just continue to bless me with with people, with godly people, um, encouraging people. I have amazing friends that I talk to daily that 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 help me with with my walk and I help them with their walk. And recently we started a small men's group at my work, um, which I thought I would never do. Um, and it's just a it's it's growing, I guess. I'm growing still. So, Nick, what's your favorite trail to run in Chattanooga? My favorite trail is the Bluff Trail on Lookout Mountain. Um, it's technical, it's rocky, uh, but it's beautiful. Um, um, it's exposed on one side and the other side is a cliff face, so it feels like you're running on a bigger mountain than Lookout. Um, and you can access it from Craven's House, Sunset Rock, or coming to college. But, yeah, beautiful trail. Recommend it to anybody. Is that the one that Just goes be careful. Is that the one that goes to Point Park? It is. You can connect Point Park, Sunset Rock, and it's real popular. A lot of people will park at uh, Sunset Rock and hike to Point Park and back. And it's just great views of downtown. Kip, you ever been there? Oh, yeah. I've hiked the whole Big Daddy Loop. Kip, you just impressed me. <laughs> wow. He's, big, he's a big hiker. You didn't I've, know that? There are only two trails in Chattanooga I haven't covered yet. <sighs> Kip, I love you already. Thank you. <laughs> what trails are those? Um, All of Cumberland. You haven't done any of the Cumberland? Just because it's massive. Signal Mountain? You never been up there? Oh, yeah, of course. That's Cumberland Trail. Yeah, but there's like a whole connected trail system. They're working on it. It's going to be 310 miles. I know. <laughs> That's the goal. And then I haven't hiked um, Richie Hollow. Oh, the new Yeah, the just because it's I'm brand new it. and yeah. I, haven't, I haven't gone up. Because I'm like, eh, Just now I went and checked it out as soon as yeah. it opened. It's cool. It's steep because, you know, it goes right up the mountain. Good. Is it technical at all? Richie Hollow wasn't too bad. Um, no, it wasn't too bad. Okay. 
but it is a little steep going up. But yeah, you can start at the bottom and go all the way out to Snoopers Rock. Yeah. And then back. That'd be that'd be a good little trip. I'm gonna check that one out. Check it out. On my list. So you um you trail run, right? I do, yep. And you also long distance run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what is the difference between those two for our listeners who don't know? Uh well, I mean it's not really much of a difference. Trail running can be two miles or five miles or a hundred miles. Um, it's just running on trails. Anything off road is considered trail running. Long distance running, honestly, five Ks are considered long distance running, right? I'm serious. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, distance running is is you know like five Ks and above, and just like regular running is more sprinting and in track stuff is considered that. But I know what we think about long distance is probably marathon and ultra marathon and, and stuff. Um, I think it. Uh, I think long distance and, and ultra running and things like that kind of go with trail running a little bit more, is just because um, number one, I think the trail systems it's 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 easier to get people on trails and and shutting down or you know barricading you know hundred miles of road for a race um, and not in your body. It, trail running is so much easier on your body um, than it is on a road. Um, you know, if I go run. 30 miles on the trail, I feel a lot better than if I run, you know, 15 on the road. So, yeah. So you, you mentioned ultra running for anyone not familiar with that term. What is that? So ultra running is anything that's, it's considered anything that's over a marathon distance. The marathon is 26.2 miles. So, I mean, technically you could say 27 miles is an ultra marathon, but typically they start at a, a 50 K distance, which is 31 miles. Um, that's really popular 50 K 50 mile distance, hundred K, which is 62 miles and then a hundred miler. Um, those are your most common ultra marathons and there's all sorts of different ones in between, but that's, that's what an ultra marathon is. So when you're on these ultra runs, what do you do? What do you think about Do you, what does that look like mentally? That's a good question that I get a lot from people, especially when, they hear about me running for 20 plus hours on some of these races and 31 um, even <laughs> 30 or 31 on the really hard ones. Um, and personally for me, I don't listen to headphones, um, on those races, you know, or to music or anything. Uh, so, uh, it is a lot of time of thinking. Um, and I, uh, I think a lot, uh, man, I think about a lot of stuff. Um, I think about my family. I think about the run. I think about, um, but one thing I like about ultra running is um, it kind of takes some strategy to it. You're, you're running for so long. Um, if you just go run as hard as you can, like a kid for um, eight plus hours, you're not going to make it. Right. So there's some strategy. You've got to know, okay, I need to take it easy on this section. I need to make sure I take in some calories and eat here. So um, on the big runs, I think a lot of, a lot about that. Maybe you overthink, you know, the day. Um, I think about why I'm out there, why I'm doing it, <laughs> especially when it hurts. Um, um, but I, I, I use the time to, uh, to think about a lot of stuff. I, I do use the time to think about God a lot. And I have, um, especially being out in the mountains and then the beauty, um, it's hard not to think about it and, and all the area God created. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes I think theology on the trail, sometimes sometimes I think about work, um, Today I trail ran after work and I thought about a lot of work stuff and I thought about this podcast and maybe what I would say. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you name it, I, I probably think about it. 
think about what I'm going to eat when I get done probably the most. <laughs> that's yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's good. I know like I tend to like to go hiking and stuff to connect with God sometimes. Getting out in the Oh yeah. In the outdoors just really helps you focus on him. Yeah, and and like exerting energy. I don't know what it is, but when I'm out there pushing it and I don't know if you feel the same way and you're out there hiking along and you're getting tired and it I don't know almost feels like you're more open. You feel, I feel alive when that happens. Yeah. It's just like, it's kind of what I'm designed to do is just experience nature yeah. and life and everything. Well, it sounds similar in, in theory to fasting. Like when you're struggling, yeah. when you're hungry, like it, that's Maybe, bringing yeah. your attention more to God and what you need in that moment. I mean, some of the, the best conversations I've had with, with buddies about our faith have been during runs, you know, long runs, you know, I've, I've done, excuse me, hundred mile distance, uh, step for step with a buddy of mine. We were out there for 27 hours together and we had a lot of really deep talks out there. And you think you wouldn't want to talk about that stuff, but, uh, no, it's, it's amazing what, what can, what comes out. You got to think part of it too is getting rid of distractions. Yeah. It's like you're in the middle of nowhere. Usually you don't have a cell phone. Right. Um, like all the distractions are gone. So you just you're focused in on what's most important. Good point. So you work for Volkswagen, which is a big place, and I can only imagine that it's not a very. It can be dark at times. I imagine. Uh, granted, I don't work there, never have. What are some of the struggles of working in in such a big place that's not really full of light? Yeah. So. Um... I'll start by saying I've been very fortunate to work in several different areas, Volkswagen. Um, I mean, I've worked with a core group probably for the nine years I've been there, almost nine years I've been there. Um, but I've I've had interactions with people in every almost every aspect of the plant, and that's um, and I thank God for that. You know, every shop. Some people some people will spend twenty five thirty years in a manufacturing plant and and work in their one little area and never see anything else. Um, so, so God has, has allowed me to, to see a lot and to meet a lot of people. Um, what's challenging. Um, I think that is challenging <laughs> that, that also, um, there's so many different type of people there. Um, it's a manufacturing plant. So, um, I mean, we, we hire people for our production team members with, with no experience. You don't have to have any experience. Um, I didn't have any experience when I started. Um, so that's going to bring in a wide range of, of people. I mean, you're going to have people with college degrees that just are leaving their field or for whatever reason aren't in their field and, and start on the, on the plant floor. Or you have you know guys straight out of high school or people right out of um, retail or fast food, right? So there's just a wide range of different backgrounds, right? Um, but I also work with professionals, um, engineers and um, finance and um management, upper management. I mean, there's just so many different levels of people I work with. Um, and I think the most challenging part of that is for a long time for me was to challenging part for me was to not get sucked in to each of those groups. And I say this as kind of a, I, <laughs> it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, but I'm, I'm really good of uh, finding a group of people and being able to, to blend in. Right. And, and I want to, because I want, I want to be a part of that team, whatever group of people that is. The problem is you can let that group, um, or not allow 
yourself to to just to you know lose who you are and be one of them and just go with the flow i think we all know what i'm talking about you know when you're around around people that may talk the way you normally wouldn't talk or or joke about things you you probably know you don't joke about but you do it anyways because you want to be part of that team and that group so um i think the most challenging part for me is to be true to who god wants me to be and i didn't for a very long time you know i've been there nine years and my my most recent uh walk with with christ has been you know past four years so there was most of my career at volkswagen i didn't do that and it's now it's it's these relationships that i had built over those years and the people i've met um trying to um change maybe who i was right and, and yeah that may this may be a long answer to your question but that's fine so being that you had a, a struggle with pride, how has that affected the workplace and that work ethic? Pride in the workplace. Um, I, I I think my personal pride in the workplace has definitely gotten better. Um, more humble. Um, the positions I've had at, at, at Volkswagen have been support roles or leadership roles where people answer to me or I, uh, I help them, which is what I'm doing now. I'm more of a support role for different groups. Um, and putting my pride aside and focusing on listening to people, um, no matter what, and letting them know that I do care about their best interests, not just work related stuff. Um, um, and sometimes that means making my work day a little longer or a little more challenging or, uh, adding more, things to my list for the day because this person needs it or, or would make their, their work life a little bit easier. Um, I put my own pride to make myself look better or just do what needs to be done and get out of there. Um, I think that's how it's, that's how it's affected it lately. Um, it's really crushed my pride. Well, yeah, my pride's really been crushed in the past, um, you know, four five, six years. So, and that's a good thing it needed to be, um, um, and it's a daily struggle still, but, um, God puts, puts me in positions where, um, well, I can't use it and puts me in a job where I need to let it go. And, um, yeah, he's been doing that. And that's part of that growth journey is letting go of that pride, um, serving God and serving others, not myself. So I know you said that the pride grew out of the bitterness related to growing up. Um, and I'm going to take you back a little ways. Take me back. But <laughs> similar to you guys, you know, I grew up in, in kind of a, a lower income situation. And I know a lot of that affected the decisions I made in life. And I'm curious if it's the same for you. Like if you chose to do certain things or go down certain paths related to, I got to get out of this situation. Like I don't want to be in this kind of income level, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um. I think just personally, well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to college, which kind of sounds maybe backwards, like you would think I would want to and, and further my career, but I wanted to get to work straight away. I started working 14 with a friend of ours that owned a business and I never stopped. Um, I worked two jobs when I was a senior in high school um, and put, saved all my money, um, bought a car, 
uh, right after I graduated from high school um, and just just kept working. That's what I, you know, I I was under the impression I just needed to work my way out of it. Right. And I did. Um, um, I was able to, you know, God gave me, even though I wasn't living for him like I should have, he's, he's he was gracious enough to give me the worth ethic to be able to continue to work hard um, and uh, really excel in all my jobs, which honestly haven't been many. Um, I, I had one job from when I turned 16 to 26. Um, it was my main job. And then when I left there to go to where I'm at now, Volkswagen um, was right after that. So I worked in one place for 10 years and I'm at Volkswagen for nine. So, um, and at each place it's, I've, I've just worked hard and been able to, to advance. I've held uh, three or four different positions now. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to, to work hard, um, buy a house as early as I could. My parents, we rented when we were younger, excuse me. Um, so as soon as Carmen and I got married, we saved for a year and bought a house a year later. That was important to me. Um, having nice cars is always important to me because we didn't have those when we were younger. Uh, cars broke down and catching rides. Um, hated that. It was part of that embarrassment. So um, I think where you're leading me, Kip, <laughs> is that um, I made a lot of decisions based on uh, material things. And I did. Um, wealth that I could could obtain here. And that's what I was focused on. Uh, um, and <laughs> I joke about it. But when I got to the point where I couldn't buy everything, I couldn't buy a kid. And I kind of did, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> bad oh, no. joke. Adoption uh, jokes. <laughs> hey, we can we can say <laughs> we have fun with it. Uh, but no, it was to that point where I was like, wow, I don't have as much control, like I said earlier, as I thought I did. You know, no matter how hard I work, no matter what I buy, um, no matter if I'm way out of that low income bracket that I grew up in, I'm still it's not gonna make me happy. Mm-hmm. So and that's what I had to learn. So that's good. Yeah. You have to have to like let it go and decide that's not what defines me. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And and now I um it's it's still hard because I like things and that's a struggle. <laughs> and my wife likes things and we want nice things. And maybe that's not a bad thing to want nice things, but um we we like to serve and we like to use our money uh to good and we like to give back especially to the adoption um the groups because they did so much for us and it's just so much it's oh so fun being able to do for them and since uh god has put us blessed us i don't deserve it in a financially stable um career um that uh we're able to do things for others and just not keep acquiring it for ourselves so well and, and coming off that adoption that you're just talking about i mean from my perspective it looks like there's a blessing in obedience where you were obedient in your conviction about in vitro for for you like you specified that the adoption process was quick and i'm very biased but you've got an incredible son who we love dearly he's got a full head of hair (laughs) So we didn't know about that if we were to have one biologically, but no, Mike, and I, and I know exactly what you're saying. And it's really hard because I don't want to say, because, um, we did what God told us to do. He just blessed us. And, and, and while that may be true, I think that could be misinterpreted. Um, 
And what I like, the way I like to look at it and the way I believe it is, is even before um, the months leading up to us finding out that we were going to be adoptive parents when we got the call that we were chosen and all that, um, when there was still that unknown, um, it was a really happy time. Even though we still didn't have a kid, um, work was still challenging and in, in this and that. So, um, and I, it's complicated to try to explain, but I know how I feel. I don't think, I don't, I choose not to believe that God just blessed us because we were obedient. I think he, cho- he, cho- he allowed us to be joyful in our obedience, right? So we are, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe when people look at us, we don't have the best situation, but we don't know that because all we see is joy. And I think that's what God has given us. So, um, almost like um, I want a new truck, right? And I do what God, you know, you know, I do what I think God tells me to do. And now all of a sudden, instead of me getting that truck, my truck just looks almost wow prettier. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's almost what it feels like. My life is is fuller, more joyful now, and uh, easier to find contentment. Yeah. So I wouldn't say. And I know this is not what you're saying at all, Micah. And I know, I know it's not what you're saying, but I, I have these thoughts a lot with this particular topic. Um, I wouldn't say our obedience um, gave us what we wanted. I believe our obedience gave us joy. Right. So that's what I'd hope the takeaway would be. That's good. That is good. That's better than I was hoping to get. Yeah. I think about it a lot. I, I honestly, yeah. that topic right there, I think, I think about it a lot because love to talk about adoption for a minute, if that's cool. I love to talk about adoption. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I have a huge heart for adoption. I love to hear so, it. So one question I was, I was going to ask you is, how has adoption impacted how you view God? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's great because <laughs> we're God's adopted children. Um, the story of salvation is an adoption story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it it's allowed me to see it on a worldly view. I don't know if that makes sense, right? But when I see it play out amongst us humans in an adoption. It makes me a clearer picture of God's relationship with me, right? And the love I have for my son, who's not biologically mine, who we've taken into our home and we choose to be his parents. Um, to know that God has chosen me to be his son um, on a much grander scale than what I even feel at my house. And I know how I feel at my house is pretty grand. Uh, uh, like I said, God knew what I needed in my life. Um, and I'm just thankful that he's gracious enough to give me what I needed. Yeah, absolutely. Adoption is what? Would you say it's a... Uh impacted how you view family at all overall or changed the way you view family like the just dynamic of family yeah yeah absolutely um we didn't even consider adoption before and when we talked about it it was compl- it was shut down so quickly like that's what happened um and i know a lot of adoption families and they look different than ours ours is ours is <laughs> we look pretty similar to our son, but I know some, some families that don't look the same and it doesn't matter. The love is there. The love is great. And I see 
uh, and it's sad that I see a lot more love, sad and good, <laughs> a lot more love in some of these adoption stories than I do in biological and just normal families. And I think it shows me that we take a lot for granted in our own families, um, things that we don't even think about. Um, yeah, that that could that, that topic can go deep. Um, I don't want to get into it, but um, yeah, I, I think it should. I think overall it shows me a lot that we take for granted. See if I can phrase this properly. So I know there are people out there who one spouse is getting back into church or is loyally going to church, um, and the other spouse is not actively pursuing that or just doesn't feel like going at all on Sundays. Uh, not necessarily because they don't believe in Jesus or anything, but just like just don't want to go to church. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you and Carmen were in a, a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious what you would say to encourage other people who are going through that right now. Um, I hate to say this. I don't know if it's right. If I probably have a different take on it, depending if they were the husband or wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um. <laughs> Because I probably should have been slapped around a lot more now if I should have. Um, my family was very kind, kinder than they they could have been and should have been probably. Um, but um, but yeah, I, you know, what would I say to them? I mean, if if the if the male if the husband's a believer or the spouse or whoever's a believer, um, you know, why I would question their faith almost because. Like you said, if they, if they believe in God and they just don't want to go for whatever reason, I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would question their faith and I'd ask them what they're what they're searching for, um, because I don't know. Yep, I don't know what I would tell them. I need to think about that. <laughs> That's okay. It's a tough question. That is tough. Well, what would you wish somebody would have said to you? I, so I was trying to think what what could have convinced me, um, because from my perspective which was, you know, I'm, I'm your younger brother. It didn't feel like there was much that could be said. And, no, I, well, and, and it really was all indicative of prayer and, and letting God do all the work because right. he's the only one capable of changing our hearts. Well, I'm very stubborn. Yes, you, yeah. I'm a very stubborn person. And if it's something I want, I want it. If it's something I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it. Um, that's not good. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> and I didn't want to go to church and there was nothing anyone could say or do to make me. Um, and I think that's why it took what it did and God's like, okay, well, I'll hit him where it hurts. You know, if that's what it's going to take, you know, I've, I've, I've surrounded him by all these amazing, lovely people, you know, his family and, uh, he's still not listening. Um, so thank, (laughs) thankful for him for chasing me down, um, and doing what he did. Like I said, it, it hurt, um, but it was necessary. So some people, I don't know if you can. Anything you can say to him, I don't think there was anything you could have said to me. Mm. But but people didn't stop praying, and my I know my mom has told me she didn't stop praying, and I know my grandparents, my grandmother didn't stop praying. My brother never stopped asking me to go. <laughs> so, I think persistence. Um, I think it's persistence. Yeah, persistence in prayer. Growing up with alopecia, um, did that have an effect on? how you felt let me rephrase this so we both have alopecia i was diagnosed with it at 18 yep 
you were diagnosed with it at five. Yep. Very different journeys with that. And you have a more severe case than I do, unfortunately. Did that and does it affect the way that you view? Did that ever play a role in how you felt God viewed you? No, I don't think that. I don't think that ever really came to mind. Um, I, you know, growing up, we were always told, you know, what's uh, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. And, um, I remember young when I was younger, I was always thankful that I had it, not any of my siblings. Right? I was like, if anyone's gonna have it, give it to me. Um, no, I think if anything, just later on in life as I got older, it was more like, uh, and the bitterness wasn't towards God because I didn't even know if. You know, at that time when I was struggling with that, I didn't even really know what I believed. I didn't know what I felt. So, no, I didn't think it was uh, that God didn't love me or didn't care about me, even when I was, you know, right in my faith. It was, uh, it was just, mm, well, this is the situation God put me in. It really sucks. I don't like it. It's embarrassing. Um, um, but and I'm thankful that my siblings don't have it. And then my sibling did come down with it. But um, and that was hard watching you come with um, get diagnosed with it, Micah. But um, I was thankful you were older. Um, not that it is easier, but there was definitely some hardships that I experienced that I knew you weren't going to have to go through, and I was thankful for that. But you got a smooth head like I do, so... You got a beautiful wife, too, so... Hey, I man. Do. I do, and she has, she has made multiple comments that... She likes me bald, and she's kind of glad that she didn't know me when I had hair. That's right. I mean, because when he had hair, he kept it long. I was gonna say this well, looks better than the swooshy emo hair. Well, so, God some, did you a favor? He's like, no, man. Some of that was to cover the patches. Some of it not. Uh, you did that before the patches came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, overall, I, uh, for whatever reason, it, it didn't hinder the way I thought God thought of me. So, were you ever at any point bitter, upset, or angry? Uh, with God that you and Carmen couldn't have a biological child? Um, I wasn't, believe it or not. Um, when the, we were dealing with that situation is when God started to work on my heart um, almost immediately. Um, and that's because of the people that he introduced me to, my my running buddies I had just got to know, really good Christian guys. So I was already starting that new journey. Um, and at that point, no, I was trying with all my might to trust him and, and see that he had a plan for us, no matter what it was. Um, the challenge with that was my wife, unfortunately had a real bitterness with God and I won't share too much. I'll, if I'll let her tell her story if she ever wants to tell it, but I mean, she is open about that time for the most part. And, uh, so, um, we were in a house where, um, um, you had one of, one of us was very bitter, very angry, um, very hurt. Um, so, um, so I had to, do, I did have to deal with that with a spouse though. And we did that through prayer and through people, um, through, um, uh, commitment to going back to church uh, regularly Sunday, um, and being surrounded in worship and worshiping, uh, despite what was going on. Um, but in, in, at that time, um, 
for whatever reason, everybody we knew that was married was having children too. So that, that just escalates it. But, um, but no, fortunately, um, I did not, I, I, I didn't experience those bitterness. Frustration with the situation. Yeah. It's not fun. Fertility is not fun. Um, it's a lot of emotions you, you don't expect to have. And, um, I can see, I can see where a lot of marriages fail during those times and a lot do. Um, not that Carmen and I, uh, thank God, were ever to a point where we were, you know, battling each other. I could just see the heaviness of that really breaking apart a marriage. So, so no, answer your question. I did not. My wife did, and we worked through it, and God, God uh, was glorified through that. Was there anything that you learned through supporting Carmen during that time? Uh. No, I mean, there was, there's patience. Um, I'm not a patient person. In fact, there's some of the other talks we talk about. If I want it, I want it, and I don't want to wait for it. That's kind of my running, you know, I push hard. I want I want to finish it. I want to reach this new distance, work. I want to hit that next level, whatever it is. Um, so when, you know, when Carmen was dealing with the bitterness or whatever, I was ready for her to be done with it um, and move past it. And I had to learn she has to heal, and I can't can't force her relationship with God and her feelings. Um, I can help encourage and support, um, and convict if needed. <laughs> um, but, um, I, I had to be patient and let her walk that journey and just hold her hand and be there for her. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4-7 Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV Podcast on any platform. Again, that's underscore M as in mountain, V as in valley podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Kip Wilkinson and Michael Horvath. This episode was mastered and scored by J.A. Parkey. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story. It's alliteration too. It's two Ps. <laughs> like my name. Okay, I'm going to move on. <laughs> the, the writer's coming out just ignore me <laughs> <laughs> moving on super real <laughs>